Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, recording from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Wonderful to see you again. Nice to see you, J. Keith. Now, Helen, I understand that as someone who is helping to raise a child, your social life has to have been impacted to some degree. Uh, uh, <laughs> Not quite the answer I was expecting. Uh, I've started to regularly get invitations to, like, Two-year-olds' birthday parties. Mm-hmm. I never wanted children. Mm-hmm. I just was never into the trappings of motherhood, and now I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm in my email inbox is flooded with like, come to, you know, little Trey's second birthday party, and I'm just like, is this who I am now? <laughs> I would think that going to a party is a feature, not a bug. Have but you to... ever been to a two-year-old's birthday party? I have been to a couple, and to be fair, I did not have to bring a child, and I could leave whenever I wanted, so that yeah. might have been the difference. But usually I'm like, the good thing about a two-year-old birthday party is you're guaranteed that there's going to be cake, which a lot of grown-up parties do not have that same guarantee. Cake is not worth... Mm. The uh, effort of having to keep a two-year-old alive, right? In at, you know, at a ball pit, <laughs> you know, swing set, mm-hmm. seesaw, uh, like roly poly thing. Just there's so many ways that a, a, a toddler can die. Especially at a birthday party. I can start to see how that might put a tiny crimp in my enjoyment of the festivities. (laughs) All right. Well, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? She is a comedian, writer, and actor who can currently be seen on Upload on Amazon Prime Video. It's Zainab Johnson. Hello, Zainab Johnson. Hi. Hi, Zainab. Hi, Helen. I miss you, but I love seeing all the stuff about your niece. Is it your niece, right? It's my nephew. Nephew, okay. My son-nephew. Yes, I'm enjoying the content. Thank you very much. I also am enjoying your stand-up, your world travels. And also, Zainab, I love that you drop, like, pointers on, like, Muslim culture. Like, I learn a lot about Muslim culture from your Instagram. That's the point. (laughs) (laughs) To change the, or at least not change, but maybe, like, add some nuance to sometimes a very shallow conversation or a very one-noted conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you suggesting, Zainab, that social media can be used for good? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Big, big news on this show. Zainab, you are joining us from another country. Tell us where you are and what you're doing right now. I am currently in Vancouver, Canada, taping the third season of Upload on Amazon Prime. So if you haven't watched it, 
watch season one and two. It's good. It's good. There was a great scene that I watched a clip of from, I think, season two, where they played a game called Tennis, which was like tennis, but with one key difference. Tell us what that was and what that was like to shoot for you. The key difference between Tennis and Tennis is that Tennis, you get a point when you hit the opponent in the crotch area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was that like to shoot? Are you actually sacrificing your... uh, private crotch area for the for the scene? I'm not sacrificing my crotch area, but yeah. there's one scene where she, you know, I'm just like, my character, she's just like, she can do all things, you know? So the one time, I mean, I hit, I, I throw the ball up and I hit it with my racket, it hits the steady cam operator. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> and he was such a G, he was such a professional. He just holds, he locks, like you could tell he jumps a little bit, but he just locks and holds the camera and keeps keeps the scene going. And I tried to keep it going as long as possible. And I just broke. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. It was the one time the steady cam was not steady. Not so steady, yeah. You just see like... The the camera shake was not a special effect in that instance. (laughs) Now, Zainab, I watched you do stand-up in a bunch of YouTube videos and you used to have a bit of a different look. Tell us about that. Yeah, when I first started stand-up, I had a shaved head. And that was not stand-up related or specific. I shaved my head years before I had ever started stand-up. But when I started, I think it really helped me because I think when you are first starting out as a comedian, and Helen could probably speak to this as well, you are trying to, like, define yourself. You're trying to stand apart. You're trying to be memorable. It's like I had something that was so memorable before I even opened my mouth. Well, first of all, you're like seven feet tall. So you're like this insanely tall, statuesque woman. And then you also have the shaved head and you're everyone's like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I think I think I do believe that I also wrote really good joke. Yes. Because you want something to bring them, but you got to keep them, you know? Ah, of course. But you're right, Helen. It was like with the moment I walked on stage, people were like, oh, I think we got to listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking of your height, I was noticing on a lot of the uh, comments on these uh, YouTube clips, so many people, of course, would comment, oh, my gosh, she's so funny. She's so great. She's so beautiful. And a lot of people would comment, oh, my God, she's so tall. Why isn't she a model? Uh, would you like to address that? Why have you not been a model? It's funny to me when people come up to me after they've seen me like do an hour of material and they're like, you should be a model. And I'm like, I know, but like, I'm a comedian. Like, you just, yeah, how did, like, how did you like what I just did though? But I am doing. No, but people literally say, but this is, you don't, you don't have to do, there's a much easier route for you to take. <laughs> like, and to be fair, I also saw a comment, oh my God, she's so tall. Why isn't she an action star? So who knows what people want? <laughs> Now that I would love. But, you know, this is what people don't know about television. It might be easier for Helen to be booked than me, having nothing to do with how extremely talented we are. But it's like actors are also tiny people. There's a lot of things that I go out for. And like the leading guy is like five, six, mm-hmm. five, seven. Right. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. We we love her. But. We, you know, yeah. it's one yeah. of the it's one of the really peculiar things about acting. Like when you audition, you have to slate and you have to say your name and your height always. Yeah. It's the yeah. one information they require of you out the gate: your name and your height. And I find it like creepy and probably illegal. <laughs> yeah. So I'm five foot eleven, right? And when I played basketball, I used to always lie and say that I was six feet because I just wanted to be taller as a basketball player. 
And then the moment I started started auditioning, I was so used to lying about being six feet. <laughs> I would still say that I was six feet. And then someone was like, no, 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 say you're 5'10". And I'm like, but I'm 5'11". And they're like, no, 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 but say you're 5'10". Mm-hmm. Because actors are not that tall. So either way in this world, you gotta lie. All right. Well, our big takeaway from this segment is you gotta lie to get ahead. Zainab Johnson, everybody. Thanks for being here. Helen, against whom will Zainab be competing? He is a reporter and senior NHL writer for ESPN, who is known for his work on Puck Daddy, Puck Soup, and currently as co-host of the hockey YouTube streaming show, The Drop, it's Greg Wyshynski. Hello, Greg Wyshynski. Hi, everybody. I feel like I should add stunt crotch to my resume. It sounds like they could use some work in Vancouver. Have you been playing some tennis or some with hockey, some heinous? Well, you know, with the with the weather turning, it's it's hard to uh, get out for a good tennis match. Yes, yes. That's what we all miss about the summer. Availability of courts here in Brooklyn, too. I mean, it's a whole thing, really. Yes, yes. It's all been taken over by pickleball. Greg, this must be an exciting time for you. The NHL season, as we record this, starts in just a few days. Are, are you like a kid in a candy store? I am. Yeah, it's always exciting. And and the best part about it is that as a reporter, before the season starts is the best time to talk to the players because they all have no losses. They don't yes. have any wins, <laughs> but they have no losses. They're and all like, in first place. Yeah, you go to the locker room and the, and the guys that you know like four months from now are going to be the surliest, nastiest. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> I don't care about your question. I know I missed the net with the shot kind of thing. Uh, they're all like, dude, how was summer? Oh, so let's, let's talk about hockey. It's so such the best time. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such like the best time. time. The flowers are coming out. <laughs> Kids are playing tennis ball. <laughs> Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to this season? They've been doing these outdoor hockey games since around 2000. 2008 uh, mm-hmm. at different like football and baseball stadiums. They're finally putting one at NC State University in North Carolina where the Carolina Hurricanes are going to play. And I have been to games in North Carolina before and I am very much looking forward to the tailgate before this outdoor hockey oh, yeah. game. Like a, a stadium of fans cooking incredible barbecue <laughs> and and setting. I, I remember seeing an entire setup where someone had recreated almost like the bar from The Shining by their pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not all wearing tuxedos, though, or right. <laughs> dinner jackets. No, not at all, and, and not ghosts. Spoiler. I don't know a lot about hockey, but I do get to go to a couple Kings games a year. What I find so fascinating is even if I don't know most of the players or even most of the rules, I find it so kinetic and visceral. Like I, I find myself having these reactions and, and sounds will come out of me just purely in response to what's happening on the ice. Why do you think that doesn't quite translate to watching hockey on TV? You have asked a timeless question uh, oh, yeah? that hockey fans, especially here in the United States, have been grappling with for my entire life. Mm. Because we all know inherently that if we take a sports fan and we put them in an arena and they watch an NHL game in person, they're hooked. But it doesn't seem to translate to television. We've we've tried to, to figure out if it's the technology thing. And, you know, there was a time when it was in standard definition. We went to HD. All of a sudden mm. you could see more of the ice. That was a big deal. But the problem inherently is this. When hockey is filmed, it's one big swinging camera left and right in the middle right. of the ice. The fundamental disconnect between hockey in person and hockey on TV is that your eyes can scan everywhere when you're at a game. And on television, it's just one camera basically going back and forth for most of it. I saw some interview you did some years ago as the NHL was cracking down on fighting and trying to make the game more safe. And you said that you were going to miss it. Have you missed it? Have you missed the (laughs) the fighting element? It's a tough one. I don't miss the aftermath of fights with guys Mm -hmm. hitting their head on the ice and and causing concussions and things of that nature. 
And I understand that the sport has moved in a direction that's more offense-oriented, scoring-oriented. It's become a different sport than the one I grew yeah, up with. Yeah, it's more of, more of sort of a skills game than a physical game. Right. I grew up with that sport. So there's an inherent nostalgia for the two guys fighting every night brand of hockey that I grew up with. That being said, I also understand that it was a, a block to entrance for a lot of fans right. who are watching other sports and enjoying other sports, and they watch this hockey game, and it's two guys from you know Finland beating the hell out of each other. <laughs> One of the, the tricky things about being a writer on hockey you know, and being like a Gen Xer, let's call it, is to respect that what I liked is not necessarily what the game should be today, and mm. what I liked shouldn't necessarily detract from the thing that people like today and i gotta tell you it's a struggle <laughs> like yeah when the nhl sells rivalry night and i'm like that's not a rivalry no one hit each other in the face <laughs> where are the goons i came here for goons it becomes a really hard thing but i've learned to kind of grow a little and come go a little bit with where it is today and i think it's the product is amazing i mean the game is really exciting where it is today you know, it's Greg, fun you could you should start an underground fight club like after the games it's like <laughs> yeah, hey, invite invite guys back to a where house and be like all right that's very on brand isn't it greg very on brand but also i will say that that fighting is still pretty pretty prevalent in the minor mm. leagues and a lot of these places there have been some minor league teams in hockey that have had guaranteed fight night what? where if there's not a fight the fans got their money back on their ticket what? like it was a whole thing to market oh, the ho- that the sounds a, like crazy. a lot of lawsuits waiting to happen <laughs> awesome well, we appreciate your getting along with us. We're happy to have you here, Greg Wyshynski. All right, Greg and Zainab, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Zainab, you said you know a lot about the movie Coming to America, Lauren Hill's song The X Factor, and traditional American breakfast foods. Whereas Greg, keeping with the food theme, you said you know a lot about food network programming, Taco Bell, and even more food, the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> Later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect or incomplete answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, health food. First up in health food is Zainab with health. While both are words you might associate with food, what's the difference between healthy and healthful? Healthy and healthful. Healthy are things that are really good for you. Okay. They're things that help the body function in its optimal form. And then mm-hmm. healthful is when you eat a whole bunch of those healthy things. <laughs> okay. So I'm, <laughs> I am full of those healthy things. <laughs> All right. We've got Zainab's answer. We don't know yet if she's entirely correct. I don't think she thinks she's entirely correct, but she's having a good time, which is also important. Uh, Greg, if you don't think she's got it exactly right, you can steal anything you want to add or change. I'll take a stab at it. I feel like okay. healthy might be some kind of like FDA uh, label that's mm. given to food, like it meets a certain requirement from the FDA. Mm-hmm. And then I would say healthful might be like, hey, this is good for you, but we ain't hitting those targets the FDA spelled out. So we can't say we're healthy, but we're healthful. Oh, okay. So sort of like a chocolatey instead of chocolate. Right, exactly. All right. Uh, Health adjacent. Health adjacent. All right. Well, this segment is becoming unhealthy, unwealthy, and unwise. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. While both words have long been used interchangeably, when there is a difference, it's this. Healthy refers to the condition that you, hopefully, are in. It means that a living thing is without disease. 
It can also be used to describe circumstances other than living things like a healthy ecosystem or a healthy bank account, which, you know, I wouldn't know. (laughs) Healthful refers to anything that is good for your health, like vegetables and other stuff that I... A healthy bank account is also good for your health. <laughs> yeah, right. it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm tapping out on this topic, to be honest. No worries. That's right. <laughs> Besides food, healthful things can include sleep, exercise, and vitamins and supplements from our sponsor, Ritual. Go to ritual.com slash gofact. <laughs> and that product placement is helpful to our bottom line. <laughs> Helen, how did our guest do? Yeah, Greg, yeah. I will give you half a point. Yes. Uh, you were kind of circling the drain of healthful, but you didn't. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Didn't, didn't I mean. quite make it down the pipes. Yeah. All right. A half a point there for Greg. All right. Well, up next in health food is Greg with food. Greg, healthful foods often get a bad rap for not having a good taste or flavor. But when eating or drinking, what's the difference between a taste and a flavor? A taste and a flavor. I would say a taste is something that satisfies the five tasty things. Where the five we talk tasty about things. like umami and things of uh-huh. that nature. All right. Flavor would be something specific like this is vanilla. This tastes mm. like coconut, that kind of thing. All right. Vanilla and coconut. Uh, all right. We've got Greg's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely right. Zainab, what do you think? Anything you want to add or change? I think that flavor can be measured on a scale. You know, mm. like things are more flavorful and less flavorful, although they may be a very specific flavor and taste is, as Greg said, associated with the senses. All right. Well, this segment is becoming tasteless. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. A taste is specifically the five individual senses that the taste buds can perceive, which are sweet, salt, bitter, sour, and umami. A flavor comes from anything else, usually a mixture of these senses, combined with the smell, the texture, and the chemical reaction to what you're tasting. Things like spicy peppers that give you the feeling of heat. That's an example of a chemical reaction unrelated to what your taste buds perceive. Yes, your taste buds or your taste things. Uh, That's right. Now, flavor is also made from your memories of having experienced those sensations before, like how I have happy memories of the great flavors you can get with Magic Spoon cereal. Go to magicspoon.com slash gofact. I am shameless. (laughs) Helen, how did our guest do? Greg, I think I'm going to give you one point for taste because you did say the five things like umami which is correct, Uh, but you weren't quite correct on flavor, and Zainab, neither were you, unfortunately. So one point for Greg. All right, one point. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, (laughs) Would you like to appeal to the judge? Rebuttal, rebuttal, rebuttal. I did say flavor could be measured, Mm -hmm. and then, Helen, your example was like heat. Mm -hmm. That's true. But heat can be measured. that's the same the Scoville mm. scale of the peppers. If we're, yeah, if we're shooting arrows, getting like around the dra- mm. you know? Okay. I don't know. I feel like there's a half a okay. point floating yeah, somewhere. Yeah, you know what, Zainab? I, yes, <laughs> you're right. I am a judge that can be appealed to. So, Zainab, wow. I will give you the half point. Yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Okay. Well, all bets are off. Helen, what is our score at the end of that exciting and desperate round? <laughs> <laughs> at the end of that 
that round, Zainab Jansen has half a point, and Greg Wyshynski has a point and a half. All right, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, I got a very exciting email just a few hours ago. You know, knowing you, Jay Keefe, I'm going to take a guess and say it's related to cereal. Not only is it related to cereal, it is related to Magic Spoon cereal. <laughs> Your favorite cereal. Yes, and the subject line is, ta-da, your Magic Spoon order is confirmed. What? That probably made your day. <laughs> it did. I have so much to look forward to. I've got my custom bundle of four boxes of Magic Spoon coming right to my door any day now. I am very, very excited. And now I guess we should read some of this ad copy. <laughs> you know, Magic Spoon has replicated your favorite childhood cereals that taste good and be good for you. Each serving contains zero grams of sugar, over 13 grams of protein, and less than five grams of net carbs. Actually, that probably should be fewer than five grams of net carbs, but I'm going to let it slide because that's how much I love Magic Spoon. <laughs> Helen, tell us more about it. Magic Spoon is a low-carb, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free way to relive those moments watching your favorite cartoons. Plus, it's only 140 calories a serving. It's like there's magic in every spoonful. Get it? Sure, yeah. Now, my four-box bundle comes with fruity, frosted cookies and cream and peanut butter. And if I had to choose a favorite right now, I think I'm going to say fruity because it just goes so well on its own just by the handful. I can put it in some uh, plain yogurt and really spruces that up or with almond milk mm -hmm. is how I like to usually enjoy my magic spoon. Mm -hmm. But you can get those flavors as well as blueberry muffin, maple waffle, honey nut, cinnamon roll. Check out the latest flavors at magicspoon.com. I'm actually partial to the peanut butter myself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. There's enough for everybody. Hey, how do people get Magic Spoon and help support the show? Head to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try the magic for yourself. And be sure to use our promo code gofact at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash gofact and use the code GOFACT to save $5 off. Thank, Thank you, Magic Spoon. I'm sure you've noticed how giant corporations are controlling more and more about what we consume, whether it's our food, our news, or even the shows we enjoy. The Greatest Generation is a show that stands up to big Star Trek and says no. We can laugh about costumes that fit too tightly in the groin area. We can make a Star Trek podcast that's basically only about that. The Greatest Generation, the show for free and independent thinkers about Star Trek. And the groins of different costumes. Reviewing every episode in order. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org. You'll be doing your part in telling the Star Trek industrial complex that they can't control your mind. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Zainab Johnson and Greg Wyshynski. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Helen. All right, Zainab, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the movie Coming to America, Lauren Hill's song The X Factor, and traditional American breakfast foods. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what the movie Coming to America means to you. Coming to America is my favorite movie of all time. Mm -hmm. I believe that it's 
probably the only movie that while watching it, I could quote word for word. Wow. I think that people see it just as like a legit comedy, but mm-hmm. it's actually a romantic comedy. I think people forget that he gets the girl in the end and they, they fall in love and live happily ever after. I think that it is absolutely brilliant. I think it stands the test of time. If I had to go to, you know, a deserted island right now and could only take one movie, it would be coming mm-hmm. to America. Oh, good. A deserted island that has some sort of a movie player on it. <laughs> I'd, I'd bring my iPhone, too. Come on. Of course. And obviously, there'd be a power <laughs> charger and Wi-Fi. All right. Next day, Nev, you said you know a lot about the Lauren Hill song, The X Factor. The X Factor was a huge hit off of Lauren Hill's Miseducation of Lauren Hill album. Mm-hmm. For me, it came at a point where I was like, I think it was like in 98. So I was like, it just became a teenager or something. So it was very coming of age for me and just just absolutely brilliant. Lauren Hill, if she never made another song again, nothing has been made greater than the miseducation of Lauren Hill. And X Factor is just like a perfect. Helen is giving some snaps to that as well. You agree, oh, Helen? I just had gone through like a horrible, um, what is it? What is it called when you love someone and they don't love you back? Unrequited. Life? Oh. Unrequited. <laughs> I had an unrequited teenage love and I just, uh, mm, that album. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe you can bring that to your uh, desert island as well. (laughs) All right. And then finally, Zainab, tell us why you chose traditional American breakfast foods. You know, actually, I'm not even sure if I know a lot about traditional American breakfast foods, but I do know that every single day of my life, I have woken up and thought, what am I going to have for breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) and most of the time you're in america when that happens yeah yeah Yeah. and i have never thought that about any other meal i've never been like oh what's for lunch today or like (laughs) dinner can't wait but like every single day of my life that i can remember that i've woken up i thought oh what's for breakfast where do you stand on uh, breakfast for dinner out of curiosity i stand for breakfast anytime anyway (laughs) yes yes don't limit the hours here's what i will tell you about traditional american breakfast it can only be made in America. I can only imagine the hell you're in in Vancouver and having to have Canadian bacon. My condolences. <laughs> yeah, I don't even, yeah, no. <laughs> All right, Zainab, to summarize, you said you know a lot about the movie Coming to America, Lauren Hill's song The X Factor, and traditional American breakfast foods. Today we're going to quiz you about the movie Coming to America. Ooh. When's the last time you think you saw the movie? Uh, Maybe about two years ago. How old were you when you first saw it? Because it's it's... An old movie. It might have been the first movie I saw, to be honest with you. Oh, wow. wow. I was like a very young, young, like a yeah. toddler, maybe when it came out. I, I believe it was the first movie I ever saw. What's one of maybe your favorite scenes or favorite lines from the movie? This when Prince Hakeem and his father, there was right, it's before he goes to America. And they're like walking through like their, their property, their land. And... <laughs> Uh, elephant passed and Eddie yeah. Murphy says hello Babar <laughs> <laughs> because you guys remember the children's book of course it, yeah oh my God, it's just so ridiculous it, it, I mean that just cracked me up and I feel like if you go on any like Reddit page or any like talk about coming to America they never talk about that part <laughs> That's why we wanted to give you the chance to do so. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery with our expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, Zainab, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints on these five questions. Now, Greg, do listen closely because if Zainab answers incorrectly, you can steal. Greg, by the way, how much do you know about the movie Coming to America? I am a big Coming to America fan. I don't think it was the first movie I saw. I think my parents probably like held it from me for a little 
little bit before I was okay. like, <laughs> yeah, there were some boobies in it. But it's awesome. All right, well, let's get to our quiz and see how both of you do. Zainab, here's question number one. Coming to America stars Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, and they're joined by some amazing talents, including many people who would later be better known for other projects. For example, there's a future Emmy nominee for ER, a future Emmy winner for Baskets, a future Oscar nominee for Pulp Fiction, and a future Oscar winner for Jerry Maguire. Name any of these before they were stars actors. You, this is Sue E.C. Cuba Gooding Jr. He was in a barbershop. Samuel L. Jackson was Robin McDowell's for baskets. Louis Anderson and what was the other one you named? Come on, what? Jay Keith Van Straten. Well, is... Come on! All right, you gave us three of them. We only asked for one. Helen, were any of those correct? They were all correct. They were all correct. Very good for the point. The other one, the future Emmy nominee for ER, is Eric LaSalle, who of oh, course plays the Soul would, Glow heir, Daryl. Yes, he did. I ER was a little bit early for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you would have no said Grey's Anatomy, I would have known. <laughs> if he had been in it, we would have said it. All right. Very good. Uh, let's see how you do with question number two. June of 1988 was a big month for the person credited with choreographing Coming to America's Amazing Dance Scene. Not only was the movie about to be huge with its June 29th release, but her debut album was released just eight days earlier and went on to sell over 18 million copies and have four number one hits. Who is this multi-talented person? Paul Abdul. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. You did not need the hint, but Helen, what would that hint have been? Straight up now, tell me, do you really want to love <laughs> me forever? Oh, ow, oh, ow, oh. ow. All right, Helen Hong, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, and I'm sorry. Thank you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Fun fact, coming to America star, Arsenio Hall appeared in the music video for Paula Abdul's single, Straight Up. All right, here's question number three, Zainab. You're three for three. Before fulfilling the destiny of the title and coming to America, Eddie Murphy's Prince Akeem is introduced to Imani Izzy, the woman whom his parents have arranged to be his wife. To show just how absurd her obedience is to him, Akeem gives her some ridiculous commands. But which of the following is not one of them? Is it bark like a dog, bark like a small dog, bark like a big dog, hop on one leg, or make a noise like an orangutan? Bark like a small dog. He says bark like a dog. A big dog. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Zainab <laughs> leaning back in confidence, shaking her head. How could? How dare we ask her such an easy question? <laughs> Fun fact, in the 2021 sequel, Amani is still jumping on one leg and barking like a dog. <laughs> I mean, I, you need to let me give the hint. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. You did not need the hint, but Helen, what would that hint have been? <laughs> You're welcome. Helen You're welcome. Hong, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Here's question number four. You still have your two hints available. Akeem's love interest in America, Lisa, finds out just how wealthy he is when her father shows her a banknote with Akeem's likeness on it, famously saying, when I tell you he's got his own money, I mean the boy has got his own money. According to that money, what is the currency of Akeem's home country of Zamunda? Can I have the hint, Helen? Yes. Helen, how about that first hint? Mm-hmm. Usually, you associate this sterling currency with the United Kingdom. A pound. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Fun fact, currently three countries in Africa use a currency called the pound, Egypt, Sudan, and South Sudan. By the way, we mentioned, of course, he's from Zamunda. The credits of the movie thank the fictional Zamundan Film Commission. 
<laughs> All right, Zainab, you have a chance to go five for five if you can get this question correct. Comedy movie fans recognize the cameos from Donna Michi and Ralph Bellamy as their characters from Trading Places, but horror movie fans might have spotted a less conspicuous appearance. What influential horror movie writer-director makes an unbilled, non-speaking cameo appearance in the party scene at the McDowell's house? Yeah, I don't watch horror movies, especially not horror movies from the 80s. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so a hint, Helen. Helen, how about that second hint? He directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and his name rhymes with Bloby Blooper. <laughs> I'm assuming that he's like a white man too, right? <laughs> Probably. I don't see how yeah. that's relevant, but he is. Yeah, I'm sorry. You, you only, you only, you do, you do not recognize white people. Uh, white men from horror movies in the '80s. Yeah. I mean, that's so far outside my scope of reality. Uh, got it. Okay. I'm so well, sorry. No. There was another subtle hint uh, that Helen gave. It rhymes with Bloby Blooper. Would you yeah, like to just make an pull attempt? Pull a name. Pull a name that rhymes with Bloby Blooper. Um, Toby Cooper. Helen, is it Toby Cooper? Not quite. No, I'm terribly sorry. Greg, with a chance to steal. White guy horror writer directors from the 1980s is so in my lane that I'm practically gravel underneath <laughs> that lane. It's uh, Toby Hooper. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Toby Hooper, the horror movie director and writer, somehow knows Lisa's dad and is at the McDowell's party. All right, a successful steal for Greg, but Zainab, you still did very well in that round. And now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. (laughs) Zainab, the director of Coming to America, didn't just work with amazing people we see on screen. He also worked with amazing people behind the scenes, including two particular people he'd worked with on previous films whose work on Coming to America was nominated for Oscars. For up to three points, in what two categories did Coming to America receive those Academy Award nominations? And who is the director of Coming to America? Dang, I can't remember the name of the of, of, of the director, but I remember watching that Netflix special where they did mm-hmm. like they they showed you the whole thing because there was there was a lot of fight happening. Anyway, I believe that they got nominated for the Academy Award in costume design. Okay, and maybe set design as well. Okay, and any guess on the director? No, like I see him in my mind, but I don't yes. know his name at all. All right. Well, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an award-winning writer, producer, and director who helped make some of the greatest comedy movies of all time, including Coming to America. It's John Landis. Oh, my God. Hello, John Landis. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) That is him. Hello. Hello, G. Johnson. I know I knew who you were. <laughs> wow, I can't believe it's really you. Okay, Helen, it's not me. Oh, no. <laughs> it's Eddie Murphy in a Rick Baker makeup. <laughs> he is versatile. Well, of course... We'll, we'll talk about coming to America in a little bit, but my God, the resume that you've put together, some of your work includes classics like Animal House, The Blues Brothers, Trading Places, An American Werewolf in London, Three Amigos, and Michael Jackson's Thriller video. It, it's such an incredible honor for you to join us today. And uh, you also, like Zainab, are joining us from outside of the country. Tell us where you are and what you're up to. I'm in a small town called Portanone, which is about an hour from Venice. 
Italy. Mm. I'm here with my wife, the costume designer of Coming to America, Deborah <laughs> Nadulman, is now Professor Deborah Nadulman. She has a chair at UCLA, oh. and she's giving a lecture at a festival here called Cinemamuto, which mm. is an extraordinary festival of silent films. Wonderful. Oh, wow. Have silent movies influenced you in your movies? Anything that we might recognize maybe from coming to America or something else? Well, silent movies has influenced everybody's movies. You have to realize that the cinema or the motion picture is only like 120 years old. Mm. If you look at a production still from 1915 and a production still from Zainab show, what you'll see <laughs> is a recording device or a camera here mm -hmm. and actors or performers here and right. a bunch of crew back here mm. and it's exactly the same process it's getting the pieces that you cut together to create a narrative interesting well let's talk about coming to america uh, first how did you come to direct it i know you obviously you'd worked with eddie before you'd been on a role with a bunch of comedies but uh, what's sort of the origin story of how you became attached to it eddie called me and he said I have an idea for a movie, and he pitched me the idea. What was intriguing and kind of wonderful about the idea was it was a fairy tale. Coming mm. to America, you're right, is a romantic comedy. And what's interesting is fairy tales traditionally is somewhere in Bavaria. The mm. castle is, you know, Ludwig's castle or yeah. something. It's uh, always Prince Charming is from... You know, he's wearing lederhosen. It's, it's yeah. always <laughs> Heidi world. Yeah. And this is a fantasy African kingdom. And the genius, really, of Eddie, I think, was really Hollywood traditionally. If there were black actors in the movie, their color was part of the plot. Mm. What I thought was so thrilling was Eddie was such a big star at that moment. I believe like the number one star in America at the time. In the world. Yeah. Yeah. That I was going to make this movie that had an entirely African-American cast and no one would notice mm. because their color has nothing to do with the plot. Mm. It's just a fairy tale. So well, where did the idea come from to have Eddie and Arsenio play multiple parts? Was that, uh, was that something that you all wanted to do from the get-go? I saw a African-American filmmaker on television. He said something that really pissed me off. He was talking about um, blackface. Mm. He said, uh, blackface was invented by these Jews in the 20s so that, you know, old Jewish men could play young black men. And he was referring, obviously, to Al Jolson. Al Jolson or sure. But it was such a remarkably stupid thing to say that I came into work the next day and I said, Eddie, I already knew the answer. Can you do a Yiddish accent? <laughs> and Eddie said, I don't know. Well, I knew that Eddie can do any accent. He's, he's a brilliant mimic. Mm -hmm. And so I want a young black man to play an old Jew. <laughs> and that's where Saul came from. That's where Saul came from. He became another character in the barbershop. And then my wife made him this extraordinary costume with a hump in his coat, yeah. that hat. And Eddie then walked around the lot and started hitting on the secretaries. <laughs> and what is so, this, velvet? Yeah, he yeah. became convinced, I could do this. And the studio said, okay. At which point, Eddie said, 
I want to play the lead singer of Sexual mm. Chocolate. And I said, sure. And then uh, Arsenio goes, well, wait a minute. So Arsenio played the, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but the preacher that yeah. Arsenio is playing, he's doing a perfect imitation of his father. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. It got ridiculous. I had to tell them, you can't be anyone else. Yeah. You, can't, you, you can't play every part. And there were two actors we paid off who I had cast to be people. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. Ultimately... He loved it so much that he and Rick then did Night uh, Professor and the Clumps and all and those. The, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. They did like four or five pictures together. But he was quite brilliant in in coming to America. I don't think he ever gets the credit. All right. Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Zainab. First, we wanted to know in what two categories did Coming to America receive those Academy Award nominations? Helen, what was the first answer that Zainab gave us? Zainab said costume design. And Mr. Landis? That's true. My wife, Deborah, was nominated for an Oscar for those amazing costumes. I mean, she was so happy to be able to invent uh, this African kingdom. And she made certain decisions that I think really make the movie. I mean, yeah. When you look back at all of the different costumes, all the contemporary sort of urban costumes, and then all the stuff in Africa, all the dancers, all the things that the royals wear, it it really is incredible to look back and and certainly well-deserved. All right, next, we want to know what was the other category for which Coming to America received an Academy Award nomination. Helen, what did Zainab say? Zainab said set design. And Mr. Landis? No, it was Rick Baker for makeup. Ah, That makes sense. That makes way more sense. I think one of the reasons that he did not win mm-hmm. is most people didn't realize Eddie was playing all those characters. Those characters, Wow, yeah. interesting. All right, I'm sorry, no point there. Finally, we wanted to know who is the director of Coming to America. Helen, what did Zainab say? Oh, Zainab couldn't pull the name. But she knew who he looked like and who that guy is. And uh, who is that guy, Mr. Landis? <laughs> Moi. It's more. It's twice. It's view. It's John Landis. We're so happy to have you, Zainab. Before we let Mr. Landis go, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to him? I'll remember this, Johnson. <laughs> and and let me just tell you, I will not. I, I like right now. I feel like I have to say, Mr. Landis. I will no. never ever forget your name again. <laughs> that, that is, for, you've made two of my most favorite movies ever in the world, which is Coming most. to America and Trading Places. Oh, Trading Places. You and the joy that I felt when he gave Randolph and Mortimer, like Rick gave them the money and coming to did the payoff of that. I just want you to know that you will never be forgotten and forever appreciated. So this has been an honor. Please. <laughs> You're allowed. In the show that I'm on, we do a lot of like, like we have multiple characters. We have to do a lot of like mirror shots and stuff like that. There's a lot of. So I always thought like, damn, how did they do the bar, the mighty shop scene where Arsenio and Eddie are playing those different characters? Not just, I know you do stand-ins and actors and shoot, but there's also so many mirrors in the barbershop. So how, how many times did you have to shoot? Well, I made a decision early on that I would not use any opticals. So there's there's no multiple screens or anything like that. Eddie's brother, Charlie, this was before he was famous, Charlie, but Eddie's brother, Charlie, was a brilliant double for Eddie. Ah. From the back, they were identical. And about a third of the time you see Eddie in the movie, it's Charlie. Oh. Uh, and like Rick Baker based Saul on his father-in-law. Mm-hmm. So what I did was... When you're on 
the barber when Eddie's doing all this stuff. Yeah. You can see Saul in the mirror. Saul's sitting over there, so he's kind of soft focused, mm-hmm. but he's in the mirror. That's actually his father-in-law. Oh, <laughs> oh the actual person. That's how good the makeup was. Wow. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that, Zainab. John Landis, it was so wonderful that you joined us. I know you don't have an internet presence, but if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, what can oh, they do God, that? Oh, God, don't go on the internet. Don't go on the internet. <laughs> well, I'm glad we could get the facts direct from the source. Thank you so much for joining us. John Landis, everyone. Yeah, Thank it's you, John. an honor. Thank you so Go. much for all your wonderful work. It was an work. honor. Wonderful. Yeah. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? Wow, at the end of that exciting round, Zainab Johnson has five and a half points, and Greg Wyshynski has two and a half points, with a round of questions for Greg coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Greg about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Zainab and Greg will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, it is time to talk about Solo Stove. Ooh, because the weather's definitely getting colder. It is, and when that weather gets colder, you want to get warmer by going around a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove that helps make your outdoor moments even more memorable. Now, you've got a backyard where you live. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. It's true. I have a backyard, and, well, right now my house is being renovated, so it's very chilly because there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole wall that's open. You want to warm it up with wonderful memory. <laughs> yes. So whether you've got an open wall or just an open space and you want to warm it up with wonderful memories, great backyard activities like enjoying nights with friends, making s'mores with the kids, get yourself a solo stove. You know, what I really love about the solo stove is the smokeless design and how sturdy it is. I was actually just at an outdoor party this past weekend. They brought out this fire pit. It was flimsy. It was dented. And the kids couldn't be near it because it made so much smoke. They had to keep refilling it with wood, it seemed like, every 10 or 15 minutes. But with Solo Stove, it's smokeless. Those smoky fumes don't ruin your good time. It's kind of magic. It really is kind of magic. And (laughs) and yet no spoon involved. (laughs) It's not smoky. It's easy to light. It uses just regular pieces of wood. I got the model that is called the Bonfire 2.0. Ooh. Yeah, it's a fire pit built for the backyard and beyond, and uh, you can take it with you. It's really, really cool, and it's beautiful stainless steel. Helen, tell them a little bit more about that stainless steel construction. (laughs) The stainless steel construction is designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. There's so little smoke, you'll wonder how there's so much fire. And they're so confident you'll love it, they offer a lifetime warranty and a 30-day free return policy. Oh my gosh, I believe it is the holiday season upon us when people give gifts, let the gifting begin with Solo Stove because you can shop Solo Stove's early deals event for huge site-wide savings and get $10 off with promo code GOFACT plus a lifetime warranty and those free 30-day returns. That's right. Get an extra $10 off holiday deals at solostove.com and use our promo code GOFACT. And that's why we say thank you Solo Hi, it's Kevin from Max Fun HQ. This year for Giving Tuesday, we're inviting you to a super fun tarot event. It's got some of your favorite Max Fun hosts, and it's for a great cause. Join Depression Mode's John Moe, Carrie Poppy of Ono, Ross and Carrie, Stuart Wellington from The Flop House, Tom Lum from Let's Learn Everything, and Ellen Weatherford of Just the Zoo of Us. Your suggested $10 donation supports National Casa GAL and their work advocating for kids in foster care. That's this Giving Tuesday, November 29th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Check out MaximumFun.org slash events for more information and tickets to The Tarot Show with John Moe.
Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Zainab Johnson and Greg Wyshynski. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thanks so much, Helen. All right, Greg, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Food Network programming, Taco Bell, and the Smashing Pumpkins. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those first. Tell us what Food Network programming means to you. It's the background of my life. It is an yeah. old friend you can visit at any point during the day. It's I put it on on a Saturday morning, and the kitchen is on, and they're all talking about what they're going to make for football that afternoon. It's chopped at 11 o'clock at night when your, your day is done and you just want to watch people battle in the, in the kitchen. <laughs> they cook a lot of comfort food and it's comfort food for me. All right, next you said you know a lot about Taco Bell. Speaking of comfort food, I'm guessing. Taco Bell has a unique place in my life as being a, like happy food. It mm -hmm. could be car food. It could be at home food. I enjoy going to the Taco Bell Cantina in Las Vegas late at night <laughs> where you can get alcohol with your tacos you can get alcohol with your tacos and buy taco bell gear in the what? store so it, it's a real uh, cultural touchstone for me very cool and then finally you said you know a lot about the smashing pumpkins i do i am uh, i was born in 77 so the pumpkins hit when i was in like middle school and high school they hit hard for me like um you know it was a grunge time they weren't from Seattle. They were Chicago, which made them a little bit different. They were basically the soundtrack of my middle school, high school, and early college years. They made important music for me, and I always, I always appreciated the Pumpkins. They're still probably my favorite band, even if maybe I don't consume as much of the newer stuff mm -hmm. as I probably should. All right. Well, to summarize, Greg, you said you know a lot about Food Network programming, Taco Bell, and the Smashing Pumpkins. Today, we're going to quiz you about Food Network programming. All right. Bring it on, baby. All right. Well, first, uh, let's find out a little bit more. How long has the Food Network been a part of your uh, routine? Oh, my goodness. As long as I can remember. I mean, the great thing yeah. about the Food Network is that they usually put it right next to HTTV on most cable uh, mm -hmm. networks. So when one's in commercial, you can go visit a house. <laughs> and when the other one's in commercial, you can go visit the kitchen. And now, do you cook? Like, do you actually use the cooking tips and uh, tricks from the shows? I try. I think I do a pretty good job. The difference between me and someone like my wife, Ruby is that she is able to cook and taste and augment recipes as she goes along. And I'm someone who needs to follow, needs to literally have the <laughs> thing in the recipe that says, turn the oven on. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll turn the oven on. <laughs> I am so with you. There have been so many times where I'm like, you didn't tell me to turn on the oven. I know, Come I know. On. I need Free it, I need heat. it. It's, it's like programming a simple robot. You know, if you right, don't right. have every line of code, I'm going to miss something. Well, let's see how much of that you absorb, because just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, Greg, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you'll add a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Zainab, do listen closely, because if Greg answers incorrectly, you can steal. Zainab, by the way, how much do you know about Food Network programming? Almost nothing. So this is exciting. Ooh. Oh, okay. Right. I like I like your attitude. I, I bet you know more than you think you do. It's wormed its way into culture in a lot of ways. It sure has. All right. Well, here's question number one. Before she had her own syndicated daily talk show, Rachel Ray gained fame with the Food Network show 30 Minute Meals, where she coined terms like yummo and EVOO. EVOO eventually made its way into the Oxford American College Dictionary in 2007 and is an abbreviation for what slippery staple of Italian cooking? It is uh, extra virgin olive oil. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Uh, you did not need the hint in that round, but Helen, what would that hint have been? It's Popeye's girlfriend, but she is 
really saving herself for marriage. <laughs> That's right. She is extra virgin uh, olive thank oil. <laughs> thank you. Fun fact, a 2016 report on 60 Minutes said that around 75 to 80% of extra virgin olive oils sold in the U.S. are fraudulent. <laughs> oh, wow. Here's question number two. For many years, the longest running show in Food Network history was hosted by someone whom audiences knew from game shows, Mark Summers of Double Dare. What show, which looks at behind-the-scenes details of classic American food, did Summers host? Ooh, boy, oh boy. I think... Oh, I know what it is. I was between mm-hmm. two. Uh, unwrapped. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. I, I was mixing it up with the Alton Brown Good Eats show, which is a different, right. a different deal. But yeah, unwrapped. Fun fact, Mark Summers went on to produce Dinner Impossible and Restaurant Impossible for Food Network. He appeared as our expert in the topic of 1990s Nickelodeon TV shows on episode 103 of Go Fact Yourself. Wow. Greg, you are two for two. Here's question <laughs> number three. One of the most popular shows on Food Network, as you had mentioned, is Chopped, which, like a lot of popular shows on the channel, has had many specials and spinoffs. But which of the following is not the title of an actual Chopped show? Is it Chopped All-Stars, Chopped Grill Masters, Chopped Dessert Divas, Chopped After Hours, or Chopped Desperately Seeking Sous Chef? I'm going to say Chopped Desperately Seeking Sous Chef. Helen? Shockingly, that is not correct. Oh, yeah, that no. sounds like something I would have made up. <laughs> but uh, Zainab, you now have a chance to steal. I'm going to say Chopped After Hour. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. That was a real one also. The one that we made up was Chopped Dessert Divas. Chopped Dessert Divas, although mm. I think I've got to go to Food Network and Pitch because that sounds like one of their shows. <laughs> Fun fact, I attended the wedding of Chopped Judge Chris Santos. The food was pretty good. Uh, by the way, as we record this, Chopped is in its 52nd season. How about My that? My goodness. Oh, wow. All right. No points for either of you there, but let's see if you can bounce back with this one. Greg, Artie Sakira lived up to the title when she won season six of The Next Food Network Star, going on to host three seasons of her show, Artie's Party. What is the proper spelling of either Artie or Sakira? <laughs> well, I got a hint here, right? Uh, your hint is available if you'd like to use yeah, let's a hint. Grab, let's grab a hint. Why not? Helen, how about that first hint? Her first name starts with the same three letters of Aaron, as in Aaron Paul. And her last name ends with the last three letters of Kira, as in Kira Knightley. It's uh, A-A-R-T-I. Ellen? That is correct. Excellent use of the hint, Greg. That is right. Sakira, by the way, is S-E-Q-U-E-I-R-A. Fun fact, in addition to winning the next Food Network star, Artie Sakura also won Chopped All-Stars, Cutthroat Kitchen All-Stars, and Guy's Grocery Games. You do not want to go up against Artie Sakura. <laughs> I did not realize how violent Food Network is. Oh, it's yeah. Just like it's cutthroat chopped, and chopped. Cutthroat. And- yeah. I think the next season of Squid Game is actually a Food Network production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's how they prepare the squid. All right. We have now arrived at question number five. You do still have a hint available if you'd like to use it. Greg, the influence of Food Network talent goes beyond food. For instance, an actor received an Oscar nomination for a performance that was based on Guy Fieri. What movie featured this Fieri-influenced character? Wow. Definitely using a hint on this one to narrow it down. All right, Helen, how about that second hint? The character Megan was played by Melissa McCarthy in the 2011 hit comedy. Okay. uh, It has to be uh, uh, Bridesmaids. Helen? 
That is correct. That is correct for the point. That's right. <laughs> Fun fact, McCarthy said, when I first read it, the first person I thought of was Guy Fieri from the Food Network. <laughs> I tried for a long time to convince them to let me wear short, white, spiky hair, and they were like, you can't actually be Guy Fieri. <laughs> I, I would very much like that to be the food legacy from that movie instead of the scene at the Brazilian steakhouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little more pleasant. Right. Exactly. Uh, all right. Greg, you did very well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Greg, we've asked about original programs on Food Network, but one of the most popular shows was Iron Chef America, which, as you probably know, was adapted from the Iron Chef format from Japan. The show proved so popular on Food Network that, like other shows we've mentioned, it inspired spin-offs and sequels. For up to three points, besides Iron Chef America, what are two of the four shows on Food Network with Iron Chef in the title and the same host as Iron Chef America? And what popular Food Network personality hosted them all? Okay, so the host of them all is Alton Brown. And then the, you need two of three, you said? Two of the four. Two of the four. I'll say Iron Chef Tournament of Champions. Okay. And Iron Chef Kids. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a best-selling author, award-winning cook, and Emmy-nominated TV personality who hosted many shows on Food Network, including several Iron Chef shows. It's Alton Brown. Hello, I'm here in the flesh. <laughs> it's really you, and you have taught me so much about scallops and such. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Helen, you say that to all of our experts. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I've heard you say that before. So, <laughs> oh, Alton, it really is a pleasure to have you here. In addition to those Thanks. Iron and chef shows that we're going to talk about. You, of course, also have hosted Food Network Star, Cutthroat Kitchen, Feasting on Asphalt, and of course, over a dozen years as host and showrunner for Good Eats. Indeed, Good Eats. I think actually we, we did that for about 14 years. Yeah. Uh, I've lost track. Other shows count seasons. I don't count seasons because I can't figure out how to do that. Yeah, yeah I don't know how, how uh, Chopped has 52 seasons and yet it's only been on for eight years. But that's, a whole <laughs> other, that's a whole other issue. Because <laughs> 52 sounds good. It does. It does. You get one for each playing card. Alton, you've got a new Iron Chef show, but it is not on Food Network. Tell us about that. Yeah. Iron Chef Quest for the Iron Legend is on mm. Netflix. Uh, we, we jumped over to the streaming situation. Awesome. And that is a, that is streaming on Netflix now for people to watch. It is. It is streaming on Netflix at this very moment. Any moment you want it. That's the thing. I really dig the new show. I think I think the cinematic quality of it fits in well with some of the other things that Netflix does as far as like c- cooking competition stuff. So I think it's it, it definitely fits. It was great to see uh, Iron Chef was my uh, my gateway drug to most things uh, Food Network back when the Japanese version was airing late at night. Alton, of course, people know you from your many years on Good Eats, which uh, explored the science of food. What was what do you mean the Peabody winning Good Eats? I did mean it. I'm sorry. I should have added that. Yes. The Peabody winning Good Eats, (laughs) which, of course, explored the science of food. Uh, What interested you first? Was it the science or the food? I learned how to cook in college to get dates. Uh I had a very uh, lackluster social life in college. But back in the 80s, um, young ladies would still be intrigued by a guy who offered to cook for them. Today, it's nothing special. Uh, but maybe, but, but back in the 80s, it, 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 it was, and it, it, it worked a few times. Oh, very it good. A few times. And is it true that you actually weren't originally meant to host the show? No, I didn't want to host the show. I mean, I, I, had, I had been director and cinematographer in mm-hmm. uh, TV commercials, and I wanted to make the show Good Eat, so I quit and I went to culinary school. But my intention was only to, to write it and direct it. But I was in the pilot episodes because we couldn't afford 
anyone else. And they would just kept saying, well, you know, when we get enough money, mm-hmm. we're going to get a professional. And we just kept not getting enough money. <laughs> I have to say that Good Eats was sort of my entree into watching any food programming. And even to this day, I'm not really a huge food programming Well, it's because you person. didn't have to look any further than that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked about you, which I think differ- differentiated you from a lot of other food programming that I saw, is that you were snarky a lot of the time. And me being a stand-up comedian, I was drawn to your snarkiness. You think of traditional food programming as like, okay, no, it's wholesome. Yeah. It's really wholesome. Yeah. yeah. And you were more like you were just like just funny edgy. and kind of yeah, edgy. Yeah. You I were like reverent that. about food. I think I think that's what I noticed so much is that there that you didn't you didn't have to uh, you you were respectful but you were irreverent. Wholesome without the W. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you said it. I didn't. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how Good Eats has evolved. Uh, you are now doing a live stage show that uh, is about to go on tour. This episode drops. Tell us about the stage shows yeah. that you've done. And this one has a theme to it. We've been touring what I call culinary variety shows since mm-hmm. uh, 2013. We've had uh, uh, on our third iteration now, which is called Beyond the Eats. But this is uh, we're doing our first holiday tour. Uh, so this is called the Holiday Variant. And <laughs> we launch on the 16th of November and play through until December 20th. Uh, so if anybody wants to know about the cities, go to altonbrownlife.com and by golly, you can buy tickets and everything. And I should point out for people who are expecting sort of, you know, a more genteel kind of a cooking show that you might see on any other uh, stage, this is no, something that involves a lot no. more than that. <laughs> it's got music. Um, mm-hmm. My band and I do some of our food songs, which are hopefully funny. There's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of audience interaction. There is a game show. We actually stage a culinary game show right in the middle of the show. And there is a very large, very unusual, potentially dangerous culinary demonstration. Knife throwing? No, I'm not going to say what it is, There's some sort of explosion. We have, we have created a very large device oh. uh, to do something culinary, and every night it threatens to um, um, disfigure me, but it hasn't yet. Well, <laughs> oh, knock on wood. Who would know? Um, anyway, so so uh, it's a family show um, for everyone, and uh, two and a half hours of culinary fun. Very cool. Well, let's get to the reason we brought you here. As far as our game is concerned, you heard the question that we asked of Greg. First, we want to know what is one of the Iron Chef spinoff specific. Besides Iron Chef America that has aired on the Food Network, Helen, what was the first answer that Greg gave? Greg said, Tournament of Champions. And Alton? Safe guess, given the nature of the network, because everything's had a Tournament of Champions. No. <laughs> no. If, if, if there was, I did not host it and they did not tell me about it. No, there was no... There was no Tournament of Champions. No, I'm terribly sorry. No point there. Sorry. Helen, what was the next answer that Greg gave to that question? Greg said, Iron Chef Kids. And well, Alton? Kids. They want to be do you think we would do that to children? <laughs> what kind of monster are you? It's like, hi, Bobby. Here's your Iron Chef Masahari Motomoto. Have fun with that. No, the little kid would be like, cut off four fingers, blood spurting yeah. everywhere, screaming. Who do you think we are? No. Hell no. It's not so much think as in hope. Yes, it's a wishful answer. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sure. I would have liked. I would have liked the secret ingredient to be child. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, I love no. the idea of children under pressure with knives. I mean, that is just a winning combination for a TV yes. show. Yes, stop crying. There's no crying on Iron Chef. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, no point there. In case you didn't get that from Alton's 
gentle uh, <laughs> description. The correct answers were the next Iron Chef, Iron Chef Gauntlet, Iron Chef Showdown, and Iron Chef Behind the Battle. Mm. All right, but finally we wanted to know who was the host of all of those shows on Food Network. Helen, what did Greg say? Greg said Alton Brown. And? Well, I wasn't the host of those other ones that you mentioned <laughs> that I don't know. But the other ones, yeah. yeah yes, it's Alton right. Brown. Yes, awesome. It's me. It's me. Greg, while we have Alton here, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to him? There's absolutely something I'm dying to know. Like, it's a, it's a TV magic question. And I've always been curious about this. So, on shows like Chopped or Iron Chef, you cook until the timer goes off. And everybody's got their plates done for the judges. And then we see the judges taste the food. But having worked in television, I know it is probably not a situation where the plates are getting to the judges within like 15 seconds. We've got to reset the shot and do all that stuff. What happens to the food after they cook it during the timed competition? Is it heat lamps? Is it, what is it? I cannot speak to how it is on um, Chopped. I have, I've done guest runs on that show, but um, I was never in a position to see how the, those mechanisms all, all worked. On Iron Chef, um, we always had um, a, a reheat because of mm. course there's one chef going first. Right. And they've got multiple dishes and the judges go on and on and on and on. So they, they get a, a chance to reheat all of that food. And whoever is the second chef to go, and this could very often be at least an hour and a half or two hours later. Wow. Is that they get to anything that would have been ruined by that time. They get to recook as long as they recook it exactly oh, like oh, what they cooked. It's the only way. Yeah. I do want to note that the one outlier in this and not a, sh- I mean, a show that I've, I've guessed it on, Beat Bobby Flay is the only show that I know of that actually takes the food immediately after it's cooked, because we're only talking about two dishes, and immediately sequesters the judges and lets them taste the food directly from the cook. Oh, great question and good insight from our expert. Very cool. Uh, Alden, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? Uh, Well, there's always that interwebs thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that uh, John Landis said stay off the internet. I cannot echo that uh, feeling. (laughs) Um, There's there's my website, uh, altonbrown.com, which you can sign up for newsletters and things. There's altonbrownlive.com for the tour show. And then you can follow me on uh, any of a number of uh, social media outlets of your choice from Instagram to Twitter to Facebook. Excellent. We're so happy that you joined us. Thanks for making the time. Alton Brown, everybody. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? Ooh, that was also exciting. At the end of that exciting round, Zainab Johnson has five and a half points and Greg Wyshynski has seven and a half points. All right, but now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Zainab and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Zainab, bagpipes are the national instrument of Japan. False. Correct. Greg, bagpipes are the national instrument of Scotland. True. Correct. Zainab, bagpipes were invented in Scotland. True. Incorrect. No, there are various theories, but it was brought to Scotland from elsewhere. Greg, bagpipes were banned in Scotland once. <laughs> uh, true. Correct. Zainab, bagpipes were banned in Scotland twice. Paul. <laughs> oh. Incorrect. No, they really were. Greg, bagpipes were banned in Scotland three times. False. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, that would be silly. Uh, no, it was only in uh, in 1560 and 1746 when they were banned. Zainab, you can major in bagpiping at a university in Scotland. True. 
Correct. Yeah, and a few of them, actually. You can even get a PhD in bagpiping. <laughs> Greg, you can major in bagpiping at a university in America. Oh, that's got to be true. Correct. Zainab, that university is Worthington University. <laughs> true? Incorrect. Greg, oh. that university is Banting University. False? Correct. Zainab, both of those universities I've mentioned are fictional. True. Correct. <laughs> Greg, one of them is from Degrassi High. <laughs> True. Correct. Zainab, two of them are from Degrassi High. True. Correct. Yep, and I would have done a third, but that would be silly. All right, I want to thank Greg and Zainab as Helen tabulates the final score. We're not going to count those last two. By the way, the only American university with a major in bagpiping is Carnegie Mellon. Carnegie wow, Mellon University, you can major in bagpiping. All right, Helen, are you ready to announce the final score on today's show? I am at the end of the game. Zainab Johnson has seven and a half points, and Greg Wyshynski has 12 and a half points. Oh, wow. Really pulled ahead there in the true false round. Congratulations, <laughs> Greg Wyshynski. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Greg, what will you do with your championship? I am going to use my money to obviously go and uh, find all of the episodes of Iron Chef that have Yield being nailed to a board. Wait, what money? Wait, we get money? What I was money? Say, I'm, I'm <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap things up <laughs> by giving everyone what here money, a chance. <laughs> okay, it's time to move on. Ixnay on the honeymay. We're going to give everyone here a chance to promote anything they might like. Uh, Zainab Johnson, where can people find you and what you're up to? Yeah, um, you can go to my website, which is ZainabJohnson.com. You can also um, follow me on all the social medias. It's Zainab Johnson, except on TikTok, it is The Zainab Johnson. And if you want to come see me live, I am headlining a show at Flappers in Burbank on November 23rd. Excellent. We're so happy that you joined us. I'm going to go check that show out myself. Zainab Johnson, everyone. Greg Wyshynski, where can people find you and what you're up to? Cool. I'm on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. You could read me at ESPN.com. You can see me on the NHL on ESPN feed on YouTube, where my show The Drop uh, airs every week. And you can hear me do a lot of non-hockey podcasts on patreon.com slash pucksoup, all one word, uh, including Mizen Pod, which is a food TV podcast that covers many of the Food Network shows we talked about today. Oh, wonderful. We're so happy that you joined us, Greg Wyshynski. Ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is the funny, the Helen, the Hong. Helen Hong, what do you have going on, Helen? Hey, I am going to be headlining Hyenas Fort Worth in Fort Worth, Texas, November 18th and 19th. You can get tickets now at Hyenas. You can also follow me on the socials at funny Helen Hong because some other biatch named Helen Hong has my handle and <laughs> I have yet to kill her. Wow. Well, one day at a time, Helen. <laughs> Helen Hong, thanks as always for being here with me. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Zainab Johnson, Greg Wyshynski, John Landis, and Alton Brown, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like KSwiz13 did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, the most fun way to play trivia and still feel good about yourself. This show brings me so much happiness. Helen and Jay Keith are a joy. 
joy. Thanks, KSwiz13. Ooh, I wonder what the difference is between happiness and joy. Helen? <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the world. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer, a.k.a. The Sound Wizard is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Brian Phillips. Promotional graphics by Eric Tran. Added support from Dave Bianchi and Christine Vallada. Special thanks to Joel Bear at Bear Abramson Levy Johnson. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch Food Network! And eat cake! Oh, yes, cake. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.